0: Welcome to the Darkened Doorway podcast, your doorway to everything crimey, murdery and weird. Three friends walked along Bunda Beach on the New South Wales south coast. 400 kilometres from Sydney. They had been enjoying a mini getaway and the weather had been cooperating. As they walked, they saw some debris in the distance. The teenagers approached and one of the boys picked up an abandoned shoe, taking it towards the trash cans off the beach. It wasn't until he turned it over that the human remains became apparent. The whole world saw exactly what Melissa Caddock wanted them to see, guiding the narrative to show a sharp financial mind successful empowered businesswoman, mother, wife and friend. Hi, Darklings. Today we are going to dive deep into the world that Melissa Caddick created and the one based in harsh reality.
1: Melissa Louise Caddick was born on the 21st of April in 1971 in Sydney, New South Wales, to Ted and Barbara Grimley. She had an older brother, Adam, who was five years her senior and they grew up in a fairly normal Australian suburb called Lugano, New South Wales. Melissa and her brother attended Peakhurst High School and one old schoolmate described Melissa as a pretty average or just above average student who was aspirational even then and quite organised, but there was really nothing that stood out about her. She was an average student that did maths in society or veggie maths as it was known.
0: Hey, I did that. I'm guessing you're not surprised by this. (laughs)
1: <laughs> uh No. Maths is not your favourite, or mine actually, so it's okay.
0: It's just the thing.
1: <laughs> it was noted that she was keen to impress girls from families that were wealthy, a characteristic she maintained into her adulthood. Melissa was strong-willed and a very private girl as she would not share unless she wanted to and she would control the narrative when she did.
0: Once school was finished, Melissa went to St Patrick's College in Sydney to become a secretary for successful clientele, where she learnt deportment, which is how to dress and behave for success. How to be a lady. And do lady things. (laughs) Snippets of her interesting personality showed itself to one of her friends at this point, when apparently while waiting for public transport, her friend noted that there were homeless people in the area. And Melissa said something like, yeah, it's terrible. They should do something about them. Her friend agreed and said, yes, they need help. They must be so cold as it was winter. And Melissa apparently said, no, that's not what I mean. They should get them out of here because I shouldn't have to be around them. Yeah. Okay, Melissa. Mm. What a treasure. (laughs) Melissa did very well while there and graduated. However, this was the point that Melissa began to weave her web of lies. After this
1: Melissa got a job working for NRMA as a secretary but I don't think she told her parents or her friends that she was a secretary though and by all accounts from her parents they were very proud of her as they began to gain an understanding of share trading in the investment division particularly the boutique investment banking area She then went on to Wise Financial Services, and her mother said she was doing very well, saving money, and was eventually able to borrow money from her parents to buy a house in Paddington, which she then managed to pay off in just 18 months. That's pretty
0: impressive, really. It's really pretty difficult to get into the property market, and saving a deposit is impressive in and of itself.
1: Yeah, but did she really do
0: this by herself, though? Yeah, except it was discovered she forged her boss's signature on several checks during her time at NRMA. She was given the option of being dismissed rather than having a full investigation and she resigned without having to pay the money back. So why? Why did she do this? Because Melissa wanted to buy things and we can only assume her taste was for the expensive things. And she actually was very good at the job, with her employers noting how well organised she was, and so very well dressed. This is an
1: interesting bit. A psychologist working on the case later suggested that if police were involved at this point, so if NRMA had have called the police about the forged checks, it potentially could have stopped Mm. her or at least slowed down her dodginess she really didn't suffer any consequences from doing all these dodgy things at this point. So, you know, it was the beginning of something big. Amazing. She actually used fake qualifications to get the role at WISE. She actually said that she had a diploma in finance and a master of business in finance uh, for the University of Technical Studies in Sydney. Ballsy. No one checked her qualifications at this point or her grand claims on her CV, such as heading up the NRMA's financial division. She made some very impressive claims on this CV and maybe they just didn't look very deeply because she appeared so successful.
0: Money, clothes, experience. Dress to impress or dress for the job that you want, not the job you have.
1: Well, this worked very well for her, didn't it, by the looks of things? Mm, Certainly. Shortly afterwards, Caddick was hired as that financial advisor for Wise Financial Services, based on that CV, and eventually was able to purchase 25% stake in the business after borrowing $750,000. As a part owner, she was really making herself seem legitimate as a professional. Melissa used the accredited financial advisor number under supervision at Wise, which seemed to be where she got her idea for later, which is important to note. Melissa soon learnt to target the big fish at WISE and built up her client network, only taking on clients with bigger investments.
0: It makes sense though. Bigger clients, bigger commissions and potentially less likely to notice an extra fee here or there.
1: Mm. And I think there was some of that here or there happening quite a bit. (laughs) By 2003, she had become so well regarded in her field that she was featured on the cover of a trade magazine, IFA, Independent Financial Advisor. The article was about how to choose a financial advisor. You need to check your qualifications, check their track record, all of that sort of stuff. However, Kadic fell out with wires when the company refused to allow her to recommend property and shares to her clients due to compliance rules. There was potentially some other dodgy stuff at this point and the breaches could have potentially been considered criminal and maybe this was another point where she could have been stopped. She was even handed out a nice payout from Wise. They gave her back the $750,000 for her shares and they wiped the hands of her at this point.
0: So it's like a catch me if you can thing with the front page issue, almost like a guide on how to catch her.
1: Yes, I do think the magazine was a bit of a catch-me-if-you-can for sure, but it also, again, also meant that she could use the article to say, see, I'm absolutely legitimate, I'm an expert, you can trust me. She did end up on the cover again, but it certainly would have been one that she popped up in the pool room. I can imagine. In later years, Caddick's extravagant spending drew suspicion among her acquaintances. It has been alleged that when questioned about how she could financially support her lavish lifestyle, she concocted differing stories about a windfall payment she had received from Wise, either in the form of an $86 million severance package or similarly large amount from a sexual harassment claim or for a database system she'd developed for superannuation. In reality, the only money she received in the separation from WISE was the return of her original $750,000 investment, consequent to signing a five-year non-compete agreement. In
0: 1998, Melissa met and married her first husband, Anthony Caddick. Anthony went by Tony. And I'm pretty sure Anthony's are only Anthony's when they're in trouble with their mum, otherwise it is Tony, or at least that's (laughs) in my household. (laughs) He was a UK-born builder's labourer and had studied political science in England and at his wife's urging completed a law degree. Maybe she thought a builder's labour wasn't fancy enough for her. Which is ridiculous because builders and labourers do really, really well, but anyway. They had their son in 2006 and in 2011 moved the family to Essex in the UK to be closer to Tony's family. And because Tony got a job as a solicitor after completing that law degree. Interestingly, Melissa actually told some friends that she was moving to France to an estate, as maybe she didn't think Essex was fancy enough to impress. She found it really boring in Essex, actually. But she found her own fun to spice things up a bit. Yeah, wow. So spicy. Mm, This relationship lasted for 15 years with Anthony and Melissa split up with him. After it was discovered that she was actually having an affair with Anthony Coletti, her hairdresser from a fancy hairdressing salon in Bondi, which is in Sydney, Australia. This Anthony,
1: Anthony number two, also named himself AK and then AK 47 and then Paws Off, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> Now this affair was pretty intense. Melissa actually flew Anthony to see her in other parts of the world. At one point in particular, we know Melissa actually paid for Anthony to fly from Sydney to Paris, telling her husband Tony that she had to attend a financial conference in Switzerland, which she didn't actually go to, or, and it didn't actually exist.
0: Yeah, he definitely deserves to be referred to as Anthony. Anthony. (laughs) Yes, he does.
1: So naturally, Melissa and Tony began divorce proceedings. Melissa clearly wasn't doing too well under the surface at this point, having to seek out psychiatric counselling for her low mood and anxiety. And she spoke to her brother, Adam, reportedly saying that, if it gets too much, you'll find me at The Gap.
0: For non-locals, The Gap is pretty well known around Sydney as a popular suicide spot. About 50 people a year jump from its ledges and fall onto the rocks or the sea about 100 metres below. It's really, really sad. It really is.
1: Did you know that there was a man called Mr Ritchie? He lived about 50 metres from the spot where people would jump. He was sometimes known as the angel or the watchman of the gap. It is acknowledged that he stopped about 160 people from jumping to their deaths. He passed away sadly in 2012. He was an
0: amazing man. There's actually a series on Netflix. Um, it's called Totally Completely Fine and it's based on this. So, there were rumours created by Melissa that Tony had been abusive during their marriage. However, there was no evidence to substantiate these claims. So, who knows? Melissa seemed to use this story to get her brother to help her when she got back to Sydney with 130k.
1: She actually flipped a lot of the lies and said that it was actually her
0: husband that got busted with another woman in Paris, not her. Mind you, apparently she cleaned out their joint bank account, plus some of their other belongings when confronted by her husband about the affair and before fleeing to Sydney with her son.
1: Her very first official victim was targeted by Melissa when she got back to Sydney. It was actually her oldest friend from preschool, Kate Horn. This kills me. It really does. It's just, oh, anyway, she convinced Kate that single mums should stick together and Melissa was investing her own money into shares and as a financial advisor, she could help Kate make her savings really grow and she's doing it for herself. So it wouldn't be a bother for her to do it for Kate. Jesus. Kate is a disability worker and is a single mum with two kids and she really wanted to be able to support her kids and was keen to stretch her life savings further and trusted Melissa. This is really the beginning of her huge Ponzi scheme and how she was able to look the part of a very rich, dressed for success financial advisor. But we'll go into what a Ponzi scheme a little bit later. Her son also was enrolled in a very fancy pants school and its school fees were 40K a year, but she didn't have to worry about that because apparently her ex-husband pays for that. Uh, But it really does help to
0: build that appearance of looking the part, being wealthy and successful. I bet it does. The divorce was finalised in 2013 and the same year in December, she and Anthony got married, as in the new Anthony. They had a surprise wedding in a lavish rented house in Rose Bay, $2,000 a week, people, where they were living at the time. (laughs) They hosted a very lavish party and surprised everyone by announcing it was a wedding. Yay! Yay! Melissa though Mm -hmm. actually had three dress changes during the night, so before the wedding, for the wedding ceremony and of course for after the wedding. She wore a Gucci wedding dress which was floor length and many of her guests were also victims so thanks to them for paying for that I guess. Mm -hmm.
1: So Anthony is a Sydney-based hairdresser and a part-time DJ. Do you think he DJed their wedding too? Coming to a bar mitzvah near you. (laughs) Remind me to tell you about the song
0: that he wrote about Melissa's adventures with
1: the with Asics.
0: It's very touching. Some people also have like really horrible names for this guy too. He got called the Handbag Toy Boy, Playboy, Plaything, Snuggle Bunny, Snookums.
1: Okay, maybe I made
0: that bit up. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry,
1: got carried away. <laughs> So it was about the same time that Melissa bought a property at Willangra Road, Dover Heights, for a whopping $6.2 million. The address she would live at with her son and now husband, Anthony, up until her disappearance. She got a loan for this purchase, but she had well and truly built up her client list by now. I wonder if she forged the documents to get the loan as well. It was discovered that Melissa had actually forged her father-in-law's signature multiple times as he was a justice of the peace. It'd be very interesting
0: to look at that paperwork for the loan. I'm sure it was. From all the reports, their marriage, though, was a happy one. And according to Melissa's family, Anthony doted on her and she always spoke really fondly of him. One investor friend, however, did say that he didn't believe that the relationship gave them equal standing, with Melissa being very dominant in the relationship. So according to a few sources, Melissa definitely wore the pants in this relationship with Anthony and her son. (laughs) But despite this, she was known to dote on them both and people said she was actually a dedicated and loving mother. I wonder if her husband and son knew where the money was coming from. Mm -hmm. I I don't think so.
1: I think um, they wouldn't have known very much at all because any slip-up would have ruined everything for Melissa. And I don't think Anthony is the sharpest tool in the shed. Sorry, Anthony. Uh, He just seemed to believe everything he was told by Melissa, according to his dad.
0: Yeah. Um, Weirdly, she was also described as being very loving towards her family and close friends. Um, But I kind of wonder if that was also a bit of an act. Mm. She was also generous and she allowed her personal trainer to actually have access to anything in her closet to borrow. And she regularly took her family away on very, very expensive holidays. Very, very expensive holidays. Do we know roughly how much? Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: One of the trips was like about $80,000. And we'll get to uh, her Aspen
0: slash Whistler holiday in a bit. Oh, my Lord. So, she travelled so much and she had really expensive shopping trips, like super crazy expensive. She spoiled her husband like crazy, but threatened to make him catch a bus if he got another speeding fine in his (laughs) $400,000 Audi. It's a very pretty car, but … You don't even have a tray in that though. It's not like you can transport anything. I don't understand. (laughs) No tow ball, you think? No. (laughs) Totally useless. (laughs) Okay, so let's talk about how Melissa got so rich and could afford this more than lavish lifestyle.
1: Okay. During an eight-year period from October 2012 until 2019, it is believed that Caddick misappropriated about $30 million in client funds, which primarily came from family and friends. It's understood that she deposited these funds into about 37 different bank accounts. The Federal Court of Australia discovered that her behaviour intensified each year, with her most profitable year, it's not really profitable, being about um, 2019. Profitable in the sense that she fleeced more people for their money.
0: Yeah. Do you reckon she had one password for all of it? And did it have an asterisk on the end? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, absolutely.
1: God, like, can you imagine? She would have been the most organized person in the world to remember all of that. You gotta give her credit um, for that. Yeah, she had the same password.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I reckon it was probably the same password and it was like password one, two, three, exclamation point, because isn't that what everyone uses? hmm mm-hmm. Right? Yep. Not that's... just me. <laughs> I'm kidding, I did not use all that. All right,
1: now we know. You need to change your password now. Now, <laughs> change it. <laughs>
0: Melissa had a taste for the finer things in life. Expensive designer clothes and jewellery. She was picked up by limos and hosted on lavish holidays by some of the big brands she bought from because she was a VIP client. Like, they're not coming to pick me up. Big W is not coming to pick me up anytime soon. (laughs) Melissa would have loved the attention and this would have absolutely driven her to buy more and more. There are suggestions that she was a little bit addicted to shopping and the feeling she got from the doting sales assistant. You think? Yeah, it must have made her feel all loved up. And of course, anyone's going to love you when you're on commission. Especially that commission. Mm. She wore an outfit worth $500,000, including $200,000 worth of jewelry to a, wait for it, school fundraiser hosted in a school (laughs) hall. Can we say overkill you should see this outfit what we will post this it.
1: outfit is spectacular spectacular it's the navy blue one just when you're
0: having a look at our facebook page i'd just like to point out that my wedding dress was 250 dollars <laughs> yeah this one wasn't this one wasn't no yeah. <laughs> anthony was also decked up to the nines as well he didn't exactly suffer in the wardrobe department But her wardrobe, her wardrobe was incredible. Mm -hmm. Everything was perfectly ordered. Mm -hmm. She had handbags grouped in color and size, and all her shoes were kept on display in their shoe boxes, labeled and photographed. She really loved that organization. Mm. And if she liked a particular style of dress, she would have it in every color. She spent hundreds and thousands of dollars at Gucci, Louis Vuitton, Chanel, Versace, all the very elite brands. So now to those luxury
1: vacations. She had more than 25 of those very, very, very expensive holidays in the 10 years. Aspen every single year. One year the snow wasn't to her liking so she booked a second holiday while on holidays and picked up and went to Whistler in Canada instead. She took her parents and her family to a Fijian private island at about $8,000 per person per night for 10 days. Oh my God. She would fly in private jets regularly too. She owned properties that seemed straight out of magazines and drove cars that turned heads at every single corner. Melissa knew how to live large and she wasn't shy about showing it. Not a cent was invested for the client. It all just went to Melissa and her incredible spending habits. Spending habits kind of sound like she was reckless, but I think she was also very, very clever. She bought things that she would sell later as needed. The jewelry was incredible. She bought a ring worth $600,000, wait for it, with the money that her parents gave her towards the mortgage of the Edgecliff apartment. And she moved them into it um, after she convinced them to sell the family home. Uh, and uh, yeah, she sent, oh yeah, I, I probably shouldn't even talk about the emails that she sent her parents about, talking about how they'll be dead soon because, you know, let's face it, they're, they're old. Uh, yep. Um, classy stuff. Oh so she's just going to keep it in her name, <laughs> but, um, you know, she'll use their money to pay off the mortgage, which she never did. She just bought a fancy ring instead. Oh my God. Yeah, it was really, really kind of classy. Sorry, mum and dad. Ooh, sorry, not sorry, from Melissa.
0: So tell me about that ring.
1: Yeah. She, th- it was like a huge baubly thing, like beautiful, amazing. She sold this ring later at an elite Hong Kong jewellery auction for a bit of a loss, for like about $150,000 loss. But it doesn't really matter, does it? Because it's all about, you know, it's all about the look, but That's it's crazy. Yeah. She, <laughs> anyway, makes me a bit cranky. <laughs> <laughs> So she even claimed to a friend that she had personally invested in Argyle Diamonds, which are the rarest in the world and they're worth millions of dollars. She claimed that she owned a very, very rare blue
0: Argyle Diamond as well. Those diamonds are actually so valuable that there are special storage vaults that are like Alcatraz for them. Mm -hmm. Diamonds and jewellery are very transportable and diamonds can get through airport security x-rays really easily too. She purchased a lot of artwork as well. And there is even talk that she was learning to fly, which is, you know, a bit suspicious. Mm, Really? How interesting. (laughs) Very.
1: So, how did she do it? She created this very elaborate Ponzi scheme. And Ponzi scheme, I hear you say in a weirdly questioning voice. And this is when uh, you start to glaze over, by the way, so I'll carry this one. <laughs> so yeah. let's take you on a yeah. quick journey uh, back I'll, in I'm time. I'm going to make a coffee. Yeah, no, 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 you've got to stay because there's bits later. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so let's go on a quick journey back in time to the very first official Ponzi scheme and how it got its name. There were other Ponzi schemes beforehand, but they didn't get naming rights for some reason. But anyway, maybe because this guy's got a cool name. So a Ponzi scheme is a form of fraud that lures in investors with the promise of really high returns and low risk. And it basically pays the profits to early investors with funds from more recent investors. It's named after an Italian businessman named Charles Ponzi and the scheme leads victims to believe that profits are coming from legitimate business activities, so products and sales or successful investments, and they remain aware of other investors that are the source of the funds. A Ponzi scheme can maintain the illusion of a sustainable business as long as the new investors contribute new funds and as long as most of the other investors do not demand their full repayment and still believe in the non-existent assets that they're purported to own. It's a scheme based on the saying, Rob Peter to pay Paul. And Mr Ponzi actually finally got caught when it was discovered that he had a criminal record for fraudulently signing checks in his earlier career. Uh, Melissa got busted for this
0: thing earlier, remember? Oh yeah. Okay, it wasn't that bad. (laughs) One of the interesting things with some of the more memorable Ponzi schemes is that they targeted particular groups, generally with a similar history to the fraudster because there is this funny thing about humans we're often a trusting bunch, and if someone comes from the same neck of the woods or has the same upbringing, uh, either socioeconomically or religiously, etc., like anything really similar that you can relate to, you have this inherent trust already established because there's no way someone with this shared history would rip you off, right? Right? <laughs> right? <laughs> the fraudster also uses some interesting tools, like soft selling, almost like they would be doing you a favor by allowing you to be part of this amazing opportunity. They often say their books are closed. And then once they've checked you out for risk and you can't see my air quotes here, but I am doing them (laughs) like, so no accountants can come because they'd know that things weren't right. And then miraculously there is an opening because someone wasn't a good client and didn't get their paperwork to her on time or something like that. And she had to let them go. So it's a bit exclusive and she's using fear tactics to control them. She also told people not to tell others about the investments with her and threatened to dismiss people if they did. The sad thing is Melissa's victims, most of them were family and friends and she targeted them even though they weren't very rich people. It was their life savings and superannuation funds she was getting and many were older with very little opportunity to recover from such a financial blow. She even went after her parents. Yeah,
1: she completely ruined them. It's, it's,
0: it's really, really horrible. I feel so sorry for them for so many reasons. It wasn't just them that she went after. It was their friends, people who trusted the family and knew them. That would be humiliating. Mm, absolutely.
1: They're in their 80s too, so, you know. They're, Jesus. They're not going to recover financially from this. This was their whole life savings too. Um, and... It's the same with a lot of the other victims most of them it was their complete retirement funds some were really close to retirement as well there's no way you can get that money back yeah Ugh, it's just mm, makes me cranky. <laughs> all right how did melissa do this so when melissa worked at wise she worked with a woman named well let's protect her a little bit because she was yeah. a victim too let's make up a name ah uh, how about Charlotte Bouquet! <laughs> bouquet Bucket. Charlotte Bucket. Charlotte and if bouquet.
0: you're old enough, you will know where the Bouquet <laughs> residence reference comes from.
1: Bucket. It's, it's bucket. Bouquet! Anyway, <laughs> Charlotte set up her own financial services business, a legitimate one. Just as Melissa got back to Australia and she sent Melissa her business financial services brochure that contained her a credited financial advisor number and her business details and all of the blurb of how her financial services was working. Melissa rang her friend and asked if she could use her number as a supervised financial advisor, similar to what she did at WISE. But Charlotte said no and that she and her husband didn't really want to be responsible
0: for someone else. She probably else. remembered how dodgy she was at WISE as well. <laughs> Possibly.
1: <laughs> It was also a new business, so I get that she didn't want to share it. And um yeah, and if she had any, if she knew anything about wise, then yeah. She was wise not to do that. See what I did there.
0: Oh, I see what you did yeah. there. <laughs> that was not great. Anyway, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs>
1: all right but this didn't stop melissa she copied the whole brochure including the accredited financial advisor number and she created her own business called malavar pty ltd and it is believed that melissa never intended to have a legitimate financial advisory service at all and she planned it from the beginning to be a ponzi scheme Jeez. This woman was meticulous, so organized, and she had to live the lie 24-7 to maintain the facade. She approached her friends and family with her incredible claims of making huge profits for them and got each of them to refer more family. She also had two screens opened on her desk, sort of at all time, whenever anyone would come around and she would demonstrate people live how their um, portfolio was actually progressing and the amazing profits that she was gaining. So she created all of this, you know, real-time or appeared to be real-time, you know, facade or shows. She was really into this. Yeah. She really dived into it. Yeah. She did. She'd send photos to friends as well, or victims really, um, and she would have things like staged around her, like these screens and, you know, written on on a note on on her desk, something like, um, you know, profits 45%, wow. you know, like it was all about this stage. She'd wear these glamorous <laughs> necklaces and, and all sorts of stuff in the photos. Everything was all about the facade and all about the lie. Just incredible. Yeah, wow. And you Is don't, crazy? like, it, it's weird, like, you, you don't think that people are going to be lying to you, particularly someone that you'd known for a very long time or family. And she just created this huge, incredible, you know, it's almost like a stage around her. It's just crazy. Yeah, hmm. She was like, I'm not, I'm not kind of fangirling her. Please don't take it that way. But like, this <laughs> stuff was incredible. Like, just, oh, she was just meticulous and so organized anyway sorry i'm you know not fangirling at all
0: (laughs) i know you're not fangirling it's just i understand she was really organized imagine if she'd put all of that concentration into doing something good rather than what she did yeah incredible
1: just incredible she would lay out paperwork each week um, that had the details the detailed reports for her clients of their portfolio and these amazing profits so that they always had access to the information all they thought was true information she would include like all of the um, all of the investments and she'd pop in the asset code numbers but she'd give fake numbers and no one actually checked this Um, she used six digit codes instead of seven just one person looking correctly like just checking the whole thing would have just fallen down. But she was just so good, this brilliant saleswoman and brilliant con artist that people didn't look because they believed her, because it was on paper. She would even have an admin assistant come in each week and and she'd set out the paperwork perfectly lined up on the desk and the admin assistant would go through and make sure that the reports were all ready and then she would send it out. She believed it, she believed it so much that she invested her life savings into, into melissa into her you know glorious lifestyle not knowing that she was a victim as well and she even convinced her family to be involved like this is how how good she was at
0: this at this facade but then she also had to go and face that woman daily and she was okay doing that yeah well she she believed it she believed the whole story yeah no no Like Melissa had to face her admin lady. Oh, yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, she'd face her admin lady every day. But, yeah, I don't know how she did it. We'll never understand. Never, ever, ever. (laughs) Okay. So some of the investors actually got lucky and got all of their money back when they asked for it. And that's the trick, see. So if somebody starts to question or if they say, hey, I want some money out or whatever, she had to give them the money if they asked so that they didn't look too hard at the whole scheme. So some some people actually got all of their money back. And um, yeah, But well. the way she did this was she'd then have to find another victim to get them more money. So the victim, the new investor, that money would go to the, the person that was asking for the money back. So it never came out of... Melissa's accounts except for once but I'll talk about that in a sec she even gave one of her investors everything back when he told her he was going through a messy divorce because you don't want a forensic accountant digging around in, an, in your investments do you especially one that's pissed off oh yeah and they'll dig hard they'll go after oh. everything yeah <laughs> all right um, so towards the end we um, it was just about three weeks before um, the authorities kind of were digging around too much. She did pull some money out of an offshore account at one point to pay someone that wanted their money back uh, from the scheme so we do know that she's got some offshore accounts out there but uh, yeah I don't think the authorities
0: have actually had access to those accounts so mm. Anyway. I don't know if that'd have jurisdiction necessarily. They'd have to go through like Interpol or something maybe. I don't know. What do you guys think? Let
1: us know. She could also have those accounts in other people's names as well, like her victims because she had all of their um, ID, all their information.
0: So maybe hey. that's somewhere where someone should look. Now at some point, ASIC received a complaint from Charlotte Bouchon. Bucket. It's Bucket. Who had previously worked with Melissa at Wise Financial Services in two... <laughs> it's, it's not Bucket who had previously worked with Melissa at Wise Financial Services in 2003. Years after, Charlotte found out that Melissa was using the number of her Australian financial service license without her permission. So the problem with that is if you're a person who operates an Australian financial service business, you need to obtain your own license from ASIC, which Melissa never had. She couldn't really because she didn't have the qualifications to achieve it and she'd be investigated and audited pretty thoroughly and regularly by ASIC if she was on their radar. So Charlotte had reported her to ASIC in November 2019 and again in June 2020. There was an anonymous tip off earlier which ASIC didn't act on due to limited details. Now, this is
1: when it all started to really go downhill for Melissa and it started to because of a chance encounter at a dentist.
0: But we're out of time. So don't forget to follow and like us on Spotify, Facebook and Instagram so you can catch the final episode of the mysterious disappearance of Melissa Kadic. Oh, and how it came undone is just crazy. Better tune in then. Now, if any of the topics we have discussed today have perhaps (laughs) been a bit much, please reach out to your local health care providers. And if you're Australian, beyond blue. If you have any information about Melissa Caddick and the circumstances of her disappearance, please contact Crime Stoppers on 1800 333 000. Until next time, Darklings.
1: Bye, bye, bye. Bye.